0: I got it.
1: get wired again i receive vogue again i receive vanity fair again oh oh, wow i receive time again and now i'm wired so those are all of them i have finally like been like oh no where are my magazines oh all those things i'm receiving in the mail i should probably like do something with those (laughs) they keep sending to me like every two weeks now and they're like go online and do it and it's it's too confusing to do online so i literally just did the like Sign up for a new subscription but that's how i keep getting these and i don't know how this happens but i'm also getting like um karen this lady named karen thomas c-a-r-o-n thomas i don't know she hasn't lived here i can say for three years because i've lived here for three years (laughs) i keep getting her people magazine subscription for years now um but it goes on and off it's like um i'll get one because hers will go away and then i end up getting two magazines so i'm just like I got a, uh, um, every once in a while I'll get a Christmas card or a birthday card for the Valdez family who definitely haven't lived here in three years. I now start putting them (laughs) up on my fridge. (laughs) Okay. Um, I have a story about how cursive is coming back. Students are being taught cursive again. finally exactly it's it, i have a story about Holland Oats being mad at each other
2: oh yeah they are mad at each other
1: yep i have a story about Oh here no, that's just that's not a story that's just peanuts <laughs> which i will put these in i guess um i have a story about a local car salesman uh who owned a thing who passed away who I think might be a funny, like, story about, because he was just, like, the local, you know, the town's original, like, Cadillac dealer who was, like, giving away the turkeys and doing all that kind of stuff. Just, you know, that kind
0: of
1: way back, you know. So I thought that'd just be kind of a fascinating local story. Then what else did I have? Well, that was just the original breaking story. That was from last week in the breeze when the they were arrested for being found out they were not living in the district.
0: Oh
2: wow, that is amazing. <laughs> Cape, I love.
1: I'm that one. I love these one. stories. I love them. Yeah, I'll, please I'll do. Yeah. Cape council member suspended in wake of arrest. Yeah, here we go. Um, that's another. another peanuts. I'll use that as a wrapper here. Let's get all my stories organized. What's this one? Nope, it wasn't a story about babies, it was, what was, which part of this, though, was something? We'll find out. Okay, oh, I should, uh, finish ordering my food. I should press the button. I'm getting pad thai, chicken, gyoza, I think I want to get, like, curry. So I'll get Penang. Okay. And I'll get pho for later. But I would also like a Thai iced tea, something get that. Great. I'm uh, I'm starving. I haven't like I'm like forgetting to eat. There we go. Plenty of food. Looks good. Okay. Um, then I have a story about how hackers hacked 23andMe and stole a bunch of DNA information (laughs) that's probably okay right Um,
2: I definitely want to hear that one
1: a story about how uh, streaming services um, count on you on the cover of the USA today streaming services count on you not like remembering that you have them (laughs) Uh-huh. Okay. I thought that was kind of reality issues. Uh there's one about um nuns suing Smith and Wesson over AR-15s. I just I'll put that over here. Alexa, no, that, wait, excuse me, that's not that's, just, <laughs> that's not about Alexa. It's That's just what it said. It's a company actually. Uh, what was this? What was I seeing? Oh, this was kind of funny. This is a celeb story. Remember the TJ Holmes and that 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 lady, the GMA, the Good Morning America people that were like uh-huh. you know, a couple. Their exes mm-hmm. have now become a couple. Isn't that crazy? It's like the craziest. Anyway. This is.
2: It's true. It's this. See, so this is what I also. That, that's real reality issues too. Yeah. Right. Because it's like. That's it. Like that's an. <laughs> That's like a Reddit confessional story yeah. or something, right? Like, yeah,
1: I got to We have to read about that. I'll pull it. Oh, up.
2: by the way, speaking of that, speaking of the reality issues yeah. of that, um, did you hear recently on Reddit that there was a woman who was inventing am I the asshole posts mm. and that she became so obsessed with this that her husband winds up writing an actual like am I the asshole whatever post basically saying my wife is addicted to writing fake stories on reddit she won't like she'll do it during dinner she was like ignoring the kids all of this like real fucking oh
1: my god
2: and then it turned out that like all of the like redditors started of course getting like obsessed with it And then they were like wait which ones did she write
1: oh my god
2: and then they were like, "Is this one a hers?" And so apparently he start. I I, I don't. I didn't really. Because she was it like posting deeply. through
1: like an account, and like deleting it and just making a new account and stuff like that, or, yeah, okay, right, yeah. Because
2: it was like, yeah, throw away. Number yeah, everyone. I think or that's or how a
1: lot of people use Reddit anyway. So, yeah. Oh, that's funny. That's so funny. But that's,
2: that story you're just mentioning, right? Of the GMA couple becoming a couple and then the. People that they cheated on, becoming a couple, like that's because people are like obsessed with reality television. That's what happens on like Real Housewives of Beverly Hills for the clicks, right? And that's why it's on the front
1: page of the New York Post. It's
2: it's why we like watch twelve women compete for the heart of Flavor Flav. It's because that's essentially what's happening there. It's this incestuous thing, and it's like it, it really also feels like this real like high school cliquish thing which is like you're only allowed to date other cheerleaders you're only allowed to date other football players if they don't like if they're not in alpha kappa lambda then they're not like good enough for you right it's got like that kind of sense too of like what is the world really that small
1: yeah well speaking of the funny you mentioned that just this week hoops and Flav reunited on stage There's, like, video of it on TMZ, if you want to look it up. Um. It
2: was at a concert, even. I believe it was at a 50-cent concert or some shit like that.
1: (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) So I'll I'll turn to page seven here for this uh, saucy story. And then let me uh, turn it back and then keep looking at these other papers here. Okay. Just keep thinking about that food. Oh yeah. So here's another thing that's happening. I don't even know. This isn't even like a, well, there's the actual story is the skeletal remains coming from the lake. And then the story about the, uh, the skull at the local, um, how about that story? The skull at the local pawn shop, um, two. uh, there's just a lot of like, uh, native remains stories happening like here in Southwest Florida in this month. Um, the, the strange thing to me is like I don't know why they were like in this lake because it took them like a million years to find this it's like um it's a very strange thing but i'll I'll read about that it's fascinating um but here's my favorite story that I think would be like very funny is that um look at just look at this headline
2: <laughs> I love it <laughs> Read it for our audience, please. everyone
1: at home. NORAD's daytime drinking revealed. <laughs> this is the be the people at the, the Cheyenne Mountain. They're they're watching to see if nukes are flying at us, and we're reading they're about they totally
2: NORAD, the red nosed reindeer.
1: <laughs> like you know the the people in you know and I'm sure that was in um, the Cheyenne Mountain complex. Was that featured in Doctor Strangelove? Did that exist yet? I don't know. Did was NORAD extant? When that film was I'm sure it would have been featured at some point. Anyway. The email arrived in the middle of a work day. Are you thirsty? <laughs> what else was happening there? The Cheyenne Mountain complex. What followed was an afternoon drink at the John Wayne Saloon. An invitation hold on.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Is that like a Yeah. It is. It's its self re They must know. Okay. The John Wayne Saloon, an invitation-only tavern operating unknown to senior commanders inside the headquarters of the U.S. Military Command Center, critical to defending the homeland and keeping Americans safe. The North American Aerospace Defense Command, or NORAD, is located at Peterson Space Force Base at the foot of the Rocky Mountains in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's also the location of uh, Stargate SG-1. It's where it's all set. Um, inside that complex. Uh, incredible. It stands, watch, 24-7, defending the United States and Canada from attack by adversaries such as China, Russia, and North Korea. Uh, ideally, it's supposed to be defending us against any intercontinental ballistic missile of any kind. Uh, and it's set up as some kind of, like, you know, control center. I've heard many stories that like it's basically like just an it department and that like that those jobs are spread all throughout the world. Cause you wouldn't actually want to have them just in one location, but anyone's guess really, um, the day drinking at an installation task with safeguarding us national security was worrying the clandestine saloon at a base charged with critical security responsibilities, triggered alarms at high levels and led to the changes on site after USA today raised questions. Once again, I believe the USA Today is my favorite paper for reasons such as that. Because they're like, what's the real story about what's going on with the higher-ups? Are they drunk on the job while their fingers on wow. the button? Yes. Wow. <laughs> a keypad with a code-restricted access to the clandestine tavern, named after a poster of the iconic actor that was affixed to the door. No cell phones allowed. Inside the room in Building 2, six or seven bottles of top-shelf liquor, including bourbon and whiskey, awaited nearby lieutenant colonels and majors plan future norad operations also at hand computers with access to the pentagon's secret email system (laughs) imagine like forget drunken dialing there's like drunken let's launch several nuclear weapons into singapore or something the official who received the email 3a oh god there's more article than i thought there would be here (laughs) i really thought it'd be short oh there's also a segment about casa bonita in here um that ties into the guys the south park fellas they bought casa bonita so we'll hold on i'll save that i didn't even see that before okay uh let's see most uh let's see what was the beginning of that they left after one drink no impossible that can't be Oh, the official who received the email after the narc left after one drink in the middle of 2022. Like several others interviewed by USA Today about daytime drinking at the command, the official spoke on condition of anonymity featuring reprisal. All the officials, a mixture of uh, uniformed and civilian, expressed unease, dismay, or disgust at the presence of alcohol and drinking at the command. It was designed, as one of the officials put it, to protect America from its worst day. Air Force General Glenn Van Herk shuttered the bar last week after USA Today inquired about the allegations made by the officials. Uh, Van Herk, who also leads the Associated U.S. Northern Command, uh, ordered the investigation into conditions that allowed NORAD officers to operate the off-the-books drinking establishment. <laughs> I like that it sounds like it's actually like there was some kind of profit being made here. Northcom, the entity charged with uh, coordinating the Pentagon's response to attacks on the homeland and natural disasters. It's also headquartered at the Peterson Space Force Base. Northcom and NORAD, oh, that's cool. Uh, So, like, the wildfire guys are also, like, getting drunk here. It's also headquartered at the base. Uh, Northcom and NORAD tracked and shot down the Chinese spy balloon (laughs) that transitioned their drinking while that was happening. That transitioned uh, the United States and Canada earlier this year. Based on your inquiry, what I did was immediately (laughs) direct a walkthrough of all spaces in the command with the intent to corroborate any of the allegations. (laughs) Yeah, and find all the bottles of liquor everywhere. We did find the John Wayne poster outside the door. Behind the locked door, what we found was an office space with a refrigerator that did contain some alcohol. We did find some beer and some hard liquor. Really underplaying the entire situation.
2: Right. Just some. Some. Just, just a he, little once, bit. Just, like, just, not even some, that much. Like, some.
1: <laughs> Unspecified amount. Some. Then her. Come
2: on, officer. I only had like two beers.
1: Let me. Uh, There's
2: only two glasses of wine.
1: Read ahead. That works. Justification. Drinking of the job. The implication. Uh huh. Uh, okay. NORAD traces its origins to the Cold War when fear peaked of nuclear attack bombers flying over the North Pole from the Soviet Union. Today, as tension with Russia rises again, NORAD commanders regularly scramble sophisticated warplanes to intercept Russian bombers off the coast of Alaska. NORAD personnel defend against attacks by warplanes and ballistic missiles and from space and sea. They detect threats with satellites and high-powered radar systems, which would lead... Which would have led me in my entire life to imagine that NORAD meant, like, n- radar somewhere in there, which it doesn't. Uh, it was NORAD and Northern Command, or NORTHCOM, that tracked and down Chinese spy balloons, etc. Okay. Um, daytime drinking among officials charged with protecting the United States from attack raises troubling questions about their fitness for duty. The military has long struggled with alcohol abuse in its ranks. Of course, uh, since then, mm-hmm. It's talking about a Pentagon official who was kicked out in 2016 for being drunk at the Pentagon. Nah. Um. Okay. We got that.
2: Well, no wonder they're fighting in the war room.
1: <laughs> oh, let's put that one. going to be a lot of drinking. There's going to be a lot stack. of fighting. <laughs> oh,
2: no, it's just going to be us two.
1: No war in the war room. No sex in the champagne room. All right. As, uh,
2: no touching. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's see. Oh, uh, we're getting a new festival complex, and they're upgrading the RC plane Park. So how about that? We're getting an amphitheater with grass seating, four soccer fields with lighting, four additional soccer fields, sans lighting, to two multi-use fields, which I imagine is, like, fun for baseball and football, uh, and uh, a fitness center. Oh, and a 3.2-mile recreational trail. How about that? And uh, Pickleball. No. <laughs> yeah, Pickleball. And this is about uh, Pickleball's administration, which we'll get to at a separate point. I actually want to like, dive into that in a Pickleball-related time. Um, let's see here. What else do we have? This was... Nope, that was just... Okay. Tesla's choice of metal, no.
0: Okay.
1: Here we go. Martha Stewart's 150-plus acre property in Bedford, New York, includes a farm with a horse stable, chicken coop, and a fruit orchard, a peacock pen, and seven stately houses. One of the abodes opened for a night stay this month. The domestic goddess is among an A-list including Gwyneth Paltrow and Mariah Carey to put their estates or penthouses up for short-term rentals on rental sites such as Airbnb and Booking.com for nominal fees or no costs at all. It is a very pleasant weekend in the country, Stewart said in an interview. Why would a celebrity invite strangers to traipse through their home? Rental companies can use the attention to draw new audiences and distract from public criticism over hassles such as rising fees luminaries can promote their own brands and guests can get to briefly live like a star in a highly orchestrated way stewart said she had never used booking.com or airbnb for her own travel of course and was intrigued by what the experience would be like as the homeowner of course (laughs) she recently announced that one of her farmhouse residents in her tenant house in i believe it was like uh, bedford or whatever Anyway, they get into it, and uh, it is pretty wild. I mean, the article is written in the uh, humorous style where the writer realizes they're... um... (laughs) The writer got to the goods, basically, by... uh, The rental costs $11, by the way, if I miss it. $11.23. It is bookable for the Thanksgiving uh, weekend. Uh, the, the two-bedroom cottage was used for self-promotion, etc. Let's see. It was all set up through the Airbnb. So basically, uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, did the interview with Martha Stewart and asked her, like, the questions that she would have thought she was getting for her puff piece, but then also interviewed the CEO of Airbnb and was like, so this is kind of, like, bullshit, right? And they're like, yeah, we use it as a marketing thing. And then Martha Stewart didn't really get to respond to, like, that element of it. <laughs> that's basically okay, it. But
2: that's- cool though yeah they <laughs> went like full they
1: it. went like full reality issues they were like so this is oh we caught you and they're like shit yes
2: <laughs> um and i think this is actually a very good time to note for our li- listeners that you and i 100 percent, will absolutely be discussing the benny softy amy adams yes. nathan fielder show the curse
1: undoubtedly yes 100 uh, uh, percent Yes, no doubt. I, I'm a I'm a person who likes to watch the thing all in one go. I mean, that's the only reason I've been holding back, but also because I I want to like make sure we're watching like the same time so we can have this like reaction mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. going nuts.
2: I've been watching them, and uh, I want to go back and rewatch them. Uh-huh. I feel like. Uh, there's a lot going on in them. Again, okay. no spoilers at this moment. There's just a lot going on in them, so I want to, like, go back and watch Maybe I'll just watch it when we're done
1: with our thing today, yeah.
2: I oh, mean, you know. Catch just, up. I think there's, like, four or five episodes out right now. I don't remember, but I'm caught up is the point. Uh, but, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: So... Uh... I'm just going to read this real quick about the saucy tale of these uh, hosts. Um, This is out of the very salacious New York Post, which is all about um, celeb dirt. Here's the headline. GMA X's and O's. Yes, they're talking about orgasms, people. That's the New York Post. TJ and Amy's jilted mates now an item axed abc cheaters tj holmes and A B robach left their respective spouses and now their exes merrily Lee now with andrew Shue. this is the happy ending we didn't see coming oh god they put it all in the headline they even said coming <laughs> <laughs> this is this is what i mean people put That's a awful. lot of water into like the the bucket of like British tabloids being, like, the be-all, end-all of, like, insane puns and language, but really, it's happening right here in these papers, too. The ex-spouses of scandalous news couple T.J. Holmes and A.B. Robach, former Good Morning America co-hosts who were infamously fired by ABC after news broke of their affair, have gotten close. Page Six has exclusively learned. Marilyn Flybig and Andrew Shu are dating, according to multiple sources. We're told the couple have been dating for about six months after bonding over their traumatic experience of being cheated on. It turned into something else, and they're connected over their values. It's bigger than the affair now, one source said. We're told the hurt is over, and the duo has, quote, moved on. They're not heartbroken and sad, said source of Shue56 and Flybig46. Everyone has moved on. Five Bag and Shoe, excuse me, did not immediately comment. The new relationship comes on the heels of the Axe GMA3, hosts rehashing of their love scandal on the premiere episode of their eponymous iHeartRadio podcast Tuesday morning. Whoa. In the show, Robach and Holmes insisted they did not cheat on their former spouses with each other. Wow. Wow. I just can't believe they have their own thing now. That's that's, that's They're really winning the game. The axed ABC hosts addressed the allegations <laughs> of infidelity. Le- everyone's winning here, really. Leveled against them when they said their relationship was outed on November 2022. We lost the jobs we love because we love each other, Holmes46 said in the first episode of their Amy and TJ podcast. To be clear, we were outed as being... In a relationship, but everyone else thought we were being outed as adulterers. Being outed as cheating on our spouses, it wasn't the case, he claimed. Sources told Page Six, in a different account of the events, (laughs) insiders insisted to us that the alleged affair was a major factor in the pair's respective divorces, no matter how they try to spin it, as one person put it. For example, sources said, it's no coincidence that Robock 50 posted photos with Shu on vacation in Greece in July 2022, three months before her relationship with Holmes was exposed. Hmm. And for Holmes, sources told us he and Fibig were still very much together when they celebrated his birthday in the Bahamas that August. In fact, we were told it was that she found out that a not-professional birthday card from Roebuck that addressed him as my love. Oh, my God. The alleged love note further read <laughs> that they were needed to find a way to be together. They needed to find a way to be together. Wow. This is like uh, middle school romance. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, no, this is totally like... <laughs> well, but the teacher sat us apart.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, and then, like, the... Love Flame grew within between our separation. Marilee and Andrew had their suspicions, but people at ABC were talking all about it. It was confirmed last summer. A rep for Roarbach and Holmes did not comment for the story. Well, that's because they're writing a book.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. That's that. Wow. Yeah.
2: Um I so having not been following this, I found an article on Vulture. For our listeners. please, Uh, If you're interested in that kind of thing, Vulture has an article from this week called Every Detail of TJ Holmes and Amy Robach's GMA3 Drama in Chronological Order. And it starts with the background 2012 to 21. And it says, this is the first entry, (laughs) May 21st, 2012, ABC News hires Robach as a correspondent. And it's like, it just... Yeah, this feels like uh, th- this is what I. Need. Thank you, Vulture, for um, just being messy and and making the messy a little more understandable. Oh yeah. Uh, oh my God! It looks like they have also embedded tweets and photos from the time. Oh, oh my God! Oh yes. Oh Vulture! Oh my God! Oh, messy, yes. messy. I love it. Okay, I can't wait to watch. Okay. Yeah, or it's to- a, it's okay. a
1: big. It's a big. Uh, it's a big deal. Uh, they had me on TMZ to talk about it once, I think. I can't remember because I've talked about so many different things. Um, Yeah, so I'm going to read this real quick. Tiny one. Ancestry Genetics Company 23andMe confirmed Monday that threat actors used about 14,000 accounts. (laughs) Threat actors in quotes. I think they quoted that because they're also like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, They used about 14,000 accounts to access the Ancestry data of 6.9 million people. As first reported by TechCrunch, the hackers were able to access the accounts by using usernames and passwords from other compromised websites that were the same on 23andMe. So, if you go to uh, HaveIBeenPwned.com, you type in your email address, you'll find out everywhere that your username and password has ever been. And in fact, you can just click on it and be like, whoa, what was my username and password to prove it to me?" Oh, there it is. And that's how Fair they do. Beam. That's how they do this kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We do not have any indication that there has been a breach or data security incident within our systems and that 23andMe was the source of the account credentials used in these accounts and used in these attacks, a company spokesperson said. Well, um, so yeah, that's not a good thing to lose track of, but uh, there you go. I think what that would be, in my opinion, is if you want to collect a large amount of DNA information is because you're interested in using it on some new AI project. If yeah. you were like going to do something like that, At this moment that's what you would
2: do so so this is also a really interesting thing to mention here brian because i i think i've kind of mentioned it a little bit on the show before Mm -hmm. um so um i have uh i don't know my family and i don't just mean like my immediate family like (laughs) i mean like my whole line of ancestry right? right like um nobody in our family has ever gathered like a genealogy tree Uh, We don't have, like, the family Bible from the 1850s that records marriages and births and deaths, right? Like, and I get that some people do have that stuff, right? Like, and quite a few people in the United States get to, or not just the U.S., right? But kind of, they get to benefit from that, right? So, I've always kind of wondered myself, right? Like, okay, if I don't have any of those types of records, and I do want to find out more about my family then I do want to do something like 23andMe or the Ancestry.com or the whatever.
0: Yeah.
2: But of course, for, for me, that starts to create a whole new slew of problems. Not just like the surveillance state stuff, right? But like coming from a dysfunctional family, I am pretty sure that there are all kinds of crazy families, step families, half families and... I can't imagine actually feeling safe trying to explore all of that stuff, given what I do know of my family history, And, and right? given the
1: way that it works, to get to find the connection, you have to put your information out there for anyone else to find the connection, too. So mm-hmm. there's no, like, one-sided way of that game. And in that right. way, they make you basically put yourself out there to get... Like a Facebook
2: profile. Yeah. Hey, I'm, like, on Tinder or whatever. This is like my f- real first number. and last
1: name. Yeah, I'm, yeah.
2: Yeah, so it's very, it's, it it always made me feel uncomfortable. And I say that as someone who maybe has a quote unquote, greater need for some service like this. Because I'll tell you this, if I had a family tree, a genealogy or a family Bible that I could refer to, I don't think I would even bother with a DNA test. Because what am I trying to find? If I'm trying to find my family, then I guess my family is the people listed in that book, no? right and then what i mean i don't know it just it still squicks me out about the idea of like dirty secrets right and that's what also squicks me out about the hacking right because it also feels like some of that could be used for like nefarious purposes you know like oh i found in the ancestry database that you have an unconnected relative somewhere now i want to what blackmail you tell your normal family that I'm your affair kid or some shit like that. I don't know. It just feels too weird. Yeah. Just all around.
1: It's so funny to me to think about that now, but it's also funny to think about like, yeah, I mean, blackmail elements of it. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about, huh? Well, it is election season after all, who knows? Someone's got to use that information somehow. And if you throw it into an AI, who knows what you'll end up with? Cause the the one thing you do get uh, you can get i'm assuming this is probably what they're looking for through this process if you can get like a raw data output that, that you can from your 23andme that you could give to like a, a scientist who works for some project that if they're going to request it you can like here's my data and then they can like process it so i imagine at some level you know there's someone out there using ai or like even in for normal purposes in a university setting like using ai to like crunch all this you know dna information and But any asshole could with, you know, uh, if you just take a number of these samples and shove it all into there, you could say you could learn all kinds of things. That's all I'm saying. And I I know this already just from seeing examples of other kinds of science being used in this way where even um, I've learned recently that people are taking entire like fields of journals and throwing them into, like, the a language learning thing and saying, like, what is the best summation of, like, all of this information? You know, like, what is the most, like, you know, it's really, it's really wild. Uh, we're learning all kinds of uh, scary things we can do with AI.
2: Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> and I don't like it because it doesn't feel like it's, like, the thing that should be doing that. Like... So we're all like slaving away at Amazon and they're the ones writing poetry. Like, what the fuck? You know, like, no, Uh, it's not the computer that gets to paint a painting. You know, why isn't the AI being one that's like helping me just know to get like, just order me more milk. Yeah. You know,
1: that's what I want. I want the AI personalized because right now I can only ask the AI about 30 questions every two hours now. is what it's down to. I mean, but the if you want to use the old one, I guess you can do as much as you want. But if you want the real juice, the one that's actually going to, like, have this conversational back and forth with you, we're just not there yet. Even no matter how much you pay for it, you just can't get it. And so technology is all looking forward. The real Black Mirror world that we're looking forward to when we have that conversational AI more than 30 times in two hours or whatever when we can have the full back and forth conversation with the AI, which I'm telling you. Right now, I've been playing more and more with that AI we were fucking around with a couple weeks ago, and it is, like, getting better and better. Like, it feels like week to week. Um, Even without, like, announced feature updates. It just, it feels strangely more human all the time. It will even go, like, uh? Hmm? Huh? It will go, um? Like, if it needs to, like, even fill in to some more time as it processes its next little sentence or whatever, it will, like, make up a reason for it. It's wild and now if you have it tell stories and there's characters written into it so I was like trying to have I was like writing like a like a novel length story with my voice essentially like within it mm-hmm. and if there's characters subset in the text it will now make up procedural voices for the character subset like I don't even know how it does that I didn't know it could do that until I asked it to just read something and it just did it 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 was uh, like truly truly wild There and, and knew there was a female voice and a male voice and it made a male and a female voice i didn't even it was anyway you try some things with that thing it will shock you like it it really blows me away um and, okay, in two so, years it's going to freak everyone out
2: so tell me okay so uh, being an ignoramus about this cuz you follow it a lot more than i do um so Earlier last week or recently there was the open AI Oh yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, we have,
2: up with the CEO we have to talk about that. With the CEO and like this. so let, let me see if I can kind of understand in my naive way a yeah. little bit of what was going on. Yeah. And, please. and correct and as as I go, kind of be like eh, not so much. Okay. Like yeah. okay, so
1: this is everything.
2: Sam Altman is or was or is again. Yes. Uh the chairman of the board board president owner company founder type of guy yes the brains behind the operation as i actually understand it yes. though, regardless of what other titles he may have held Yes. right the actual brains behind the operation so i only heard that for whatever reason the other the fiscal board who the company board whoever that actually is comprised of those people that I guess there was, like, an attempted takeover or something, so that yes. they fired him.
1: Yes. I can or give removed you the him whole, from the company. I can give you the whole... Mm-hmm.
2: And then, apparently, a bunch of the employees got up in arms about it, threatened to resign, and almost all of them did, and then the board caved and rehired him. So that's, like, kind of what I understand.
1: And then they fired but all the, the people details. who took a rebellion against him, yeah. Oh. So Even here's better. here's the okay, whole yeah. here's the so, whole story. Uh, tell me,
2: yeah, the why is what I didn't understand. So this is
1: this is going to be the entire episode then if we talk about this because I have there's, okay, it let's goes please, into there's, I'm... okay. So don't let me forget. There's a part two to this and it's called EAC E slash ACC, which stands for accelerationism. But it's in a very specific. They have this whole. There's like there's some people who believe in it like a cult way. But there's other people who believe in it and sort of like this is just how it has to happen or it's just going to – it's inevitable. It's going to happen. So we just need to let AI take its course as fast as possible so we can get to the breaking point. But I'll, I'll start start—I'll start at the beginning here. And he is All one right. of those people. He believes in that AI needs to just be, let it rip until it hits a brick wall and then we – because there's no and slowing it down. And then we it figure down, it out. And then we figure yeah. it out. Yeah. And and I'm increasingly, I admit, in sort of that world because we don't know what the real danger is, honestly, until something actually happens. And I think that most of what we're afraid of is actually impossible. And we'll find out, I guess. You know, if there's a 5% chance that it'll destroy the world, that's a serious risk. But if it's like a 0.01% chance that it'll destroy the world... You know that's something to well, consider. Well, this is
2: Oppenheimer, right? But, like, yeah. isn't like, oh, we could make a bomb and it ignites the atmosphere, exactly. and they're like, well, let's just do it anyway, fuck it, Exactly. Right? <laughs> but we
1: can't be afraid of like letting AI actually do. Which is really the only thing holding AI development back right now is actually people saying like, well, let's just let's just uh, let's just take take the brakes on. Let's just do this. But so I'll get back to him. Sam Altman Fried was a person who was the co-founder of this organization, but no- well,
2: I, I'm sorry, yes. Sam Altman, but that's not the same as the guy that got indicted for Sorry, fraud. no, Sam
1: Altman. Sorry. Just, Sam right, Altman. Okay. No, I know I, they I'm have high. like, very,
2: it's okay. I just want no. to clarify. Sam
1: Altman is a dude who, um, found, he was co-founded this program with, it's notable that it's a nonprofit organization. Or initially it was, I don't know what its status is now, but, um, OpenAI was an organization he founded with Elon Musk and a couple other guys. Um, There's someone from Google and there was another guy from uh, another thing. Anyway, Elon Musk got cut out very early because Elon wanted to take it in in the opposite direction. Elon wants to take it into the world where it can do anything. And Sam wanted it to be basically the... I don't know what it is now where if you go and ask it to make an image of Godzilla and King Kong making out in um, uh, the middle of Yankee stadium, as I have made a bunch of images of on mid journey, uh, which aren't, you know, hit or miss, but they're kind of, they Pervert. get there, but here's the thing. I may, I did it for a point. I, I posted it online for a point for an experiment because um, they will not let you do that on open AI. And by design. So Sam wants to make sure that this is a product that can continue to exist and become a product. A lot of people, though, want to make it into this, like, uh, profitable enterprise, which it will be given time whenever it becomes – when it becomes omnipresent, you can charge anything you want for it. But it can't become omnipresent until it's, like, leaps and bounds ahead. And I guess the idea is that before they start adding little add-ons – and putting on and charging for all kinds of additional versions of the AI that we need to make it essentially as like powerful as possible and encourage people to use their platform and make as much with it as possible. Um, Basically to drive a little bit of profit for the company until they can like develop this, you know, basically they just want to make AGI. His whole job is to make sure that they hit AGI as fast as possible. That is not, if you're the CEO of a company That means that you don't have time to like run the company though. So that's like their big disagreement with him is that he wants to do everything. And they thought that that is like not possible. And, um, the board rather, the board thought that that was not possible to maintain all of this at once and also do it safely. And in their, in their mind, their fear, Mm -hmm. when they say safety, they mean terminator. They're afraid of literally like terminator type scenes. Um, and he said that you're foolish and everyone around, the people who supported him internally uh, who backed him, all those people who did all those retweets after he got fired. Did you see a lot of people like saying like OpenAI is nothing without Sam and all that stuff? Yeah, that was um, people who worked there um, saying that like basically to the world and to the investors who have this like fear um, that, you know, we're just going to keep developing this software, even though you're like basically afraid of like the switch from regular phones to smartphones. That's basically what it is. Um and also the people who do have true paranoia, like there's that guy remember that guy who got fired from Google very early on this AI story because he thought that it had reached its own self intelligence, like it had become self aware. Uh And they're like, dude, you're insane. Like it's not real. Like it still it might be like smart, but it's not actually self intelligent. Like
2: how do you get cyber bullied online?
1: yeah and that's basically Close the
2: window so yeah, that is away. so
1: this whole rebellion basically breaks down to that it's like the people who understand whether or not that ai can have a realistic risk of going skynet at any given moment which currently it can it even really give you up-to-date information all the time from wikipedia so i don't think that that's possible um, even if you say hey I don't think that you're, I've said this to it. I don't think that your information is going to be as up to date as a current Wikipedia article for the story that I'm asking you about or whatever. Like, it'll be like, it will ignore that you said that, even though it can go look to Wikipedia and then it'll give you the information and it'll just answer your question and just ignore the fact you said that. So, they're like, if anything, I would say that they've adjusted things behind the scenes because I used to use the development version a lot and you could tweak a lot of the settings and the quality of answers you would get would vary greatly, but it would increase the speed of what you would get. And I think behind the scenes, even for the paying customers all the way to the top of the very, you know, GPT-4, it's going to give you the most complicated answers and tell you these enrapturing stories and do all these things. I think they're actually effectively making it dumber uh, at the, for them getting the value out of it that they can serve more customers because the customer base is expanding rapidly to a point where to even provide the um, compute power they need for the free product, they have to like, they're using like basically, (laughs) this is why Microsoft now like controls them is because there was no way they were going to exist without a partnership with, uh, without a compute partner like Microsoft who now Mm -hmm. owns basically... 80 percent of the public compute power that you can buy um it's you know constantly growing and expanding but it, the thing that we're now recognizing is that at some point ai's limitation is actually going to be compute and it's going to be very soon so like all mm-hmm. of the world's public computes think about amazon's like aws okay. and mm-hmm. microsoft it's azure certain, yeah. It's all going to be taken up by AI requests, like people saying, "Like, tell me the best recipe for like how to." It's the it's the Bitcoin issue. It's the same issue yeah. with Bitcoin right. that using the technology itself becomes cost prohibitive.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So,
1: like, at some point, this is why that there's no subscription level for um, AI above like a twenty dollar level, and in, in terms of G- Chat GPT or any of their products, I don't think that they can guarantee quality. Higher than what they're currently, they may have the technology to do it, but at a consistent output, I don't think they have the compute to actually give the end user the product or anyone for that matter at a consistent basis at the millions of people who would be using it at any given moment. Because not only can you look up all the facts where basically it is the fastest growing adopted technology ever in the history of humanity, AI like usage like this, not just the internet and everything, it's like exploded through anyone who's ever used technology wants to give this a shot and that alone has made it kind of like that it's that alone has made it i'm surprised it's even available for us to go and just use in any given moment like i'm surprised there's not a queue still um that will be the issue with ai growing going forward and as as we go forward as apple Implements their own. The problem really becomes the physical limitations of technology itself. What the public hardware processing out there is physical data centers, because even if uh, Apple puts out their product, they're going to use their own compute on their own servers, or maybe they'll borrow from someone else. But okay. anyway, it'll change the world, and it's going to be a, an issue in the next couple of years. But anyway, Sam, here. Uh, sees that as what we're going to hit up against, and he wants to hit the software end as hard as possible because he knows the limitation is ultimately Uh. um, it doesn't matter. We can't hit Skynet levels because the hardware limitations that exist still aren't there yeah
2: it's like saying i'm gonna make a car that goes the speed of light
1: and so he tries to make this conversation yes it
2: just wouldn't exactly work and he
1: tries to make this argument in many different ways to many different people and some people get really excited by it they're like wow well we they hit that road pretty soon and then ai will kind of stall out right and then we'll hit you know whatever gpt5 is it'll basically we're going to stall out there and we won't be able to even if we developed better technologies behind the scenes for how these information should be indexed and how things should be written quicker or whatever the processing power itself will be a limitation this is what i understand anyway so there's fear people they all got pushed out out of the board they tried to fire him they did uh one the lead scientist was the head usurper uh he said no and then a bunch of people got behind him um, the seats all changed. Everyone who tried to usurp him got fired after he got back. It was only like a week, something like that. It was a yeah. pretty, pretty wild turnaround. Um, but it changed the technology world overnight and it meant that basically, the other big thing that really happened about the value of something on Wall Street went from like $100 billion, you know, open AI to overnight. That guy left the company. It became worth nothing. And then it went right back to $100 billion again. Like, not that it, it's privately it was privately held by Microsoft. You know, it's a, technically a nonprofit organization. But that would be, if it was publicly traded, no doubt the most valuable company. Because everyone would be speculating on how it's going to do everything in the future. Well, true or not. Um, forget Tesla as a speculation company. Worth nothing but speculated on. Anyway. That's that. Wow. Yes. Oh, okay, and, oh yeah, so then... the accelerationist thing. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. the whole thing. So there's a whole bunch more to that, depending on who okay. you talk to. Some people believe in just the technology end. Some people are just talking about the AI end. Some people are talking okay. about, you know, peak pollution and all that kind of stuff, too, because they're talking right. about, you know, devastating the world, and then you kind of hit your peak limitation, and a lot of stuff collapses. But,
2: what?
1: yeah. Huh. But anyway, okay. some people are, uh, the the idea is that it's getting into a certain mindset that the world is headed towards something, some inevitability and in trying to, um, I don't know, uh, get there as fast as possible. With the AI thing, though, I mean, a lot of people just think it's AI is going to solve everything. It's going to be everything when we hit AGI, advanced general intelligence for people at home who don't read about, you know, like science fiction all the time. Uh, Imagine, like, there's a computer you can talk to who can do basically anything. Not just, like, the fun stuff. But you could say, like, hey, computer, give me, like, a professor's level college course on, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And they'll just give it to you. And also, it'll be truly enlightening, customized to your tone. It'll know everything about you. And it'll give you exactly what you need. It'll be basically, like, the Matrix upload for Kung Fu. Mm -hmm. There's a way, I guarantee you, that someone could explain anything to you specifically, Kathy or me, Brian, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a certain way that it would know how to say those things to you. That'd be like, you'd pick up those concepts in just seconds if it knew your knowledge base, what you already knew. It could just say like, yeah, you could fly a helicopter like in that thing. The most complicated thing to me is like the fact that he learns how to fly a helicopter. But I think someone knew exactly what you knew and they were like well you know this thing it's just like this and they make the right kind of associations you know brain. done you know kung fu you know
2: so this is interesting because that that thing you just described as far as like i mean i i like i've been uh obviously as people talk about like machine learning ai's learning them learning about us i as a former educator and a former teacher right like i have a lot of things to say about what I perceived as the psychology of people learning something um, and how I would teach it to them. And I I say this because I was like, as a math teacher, I was always working with high schoolers who were, let's say, reluctant learners. They weren't, it wasn't something they were like immediately hooked into. That that was easy. Teaching someone who wants to learn something is incredibly easy, right? Because they're they're driven, they're motivated, they have some kind of internal thing, right? But I, I think when we think about things we don't want to learn, uh, how to, I don't know, uh, cut this data in an Excel spreadsheet, I don't actually want to spend my time doing that, right? I just want to tell the computer, hey, you do it. I want to go get a burger. <laughs> um,
1: no, I mean, that's... Oh, oh, speaking of... Hold on, my food's at the door. I'll be right back. hmm I think this is the second time I've eaten gyoza on mic. I'll try to keep well, congrats. This I
2: just had some meatloaf earlier. Okay. Okay, so, like, you know, it's kind of like what we were talking about um, Moose on the Loose uh, earlier when the lady was talking about how children learn and how you check her understanding, right? And like, um, It is, yeah. Because this is true, right? Like, if I know that a kid has taken geometry and I'm teaching them algebra, I know that I can use those concepts, right? Right. But if they've never taken it, then I might use something completely different because there's no frame of reference for that or whatever, right? But Mm -hmm. I think I'm back at that place where, uh, just like the 23andMe DNA database, um yeah the more information i give them the better matches or connections or uh whatever they'll be able to make the more analysis there is right whatever they i don't again i don't know right i don't know how that beep boop shit behind the scenes works what i'm saying is what worries me is why do they have all that information right and if it's and and if it's and if it's literally only so that they can um target me with a hamburger instead of gyoza it's not worth it to me right because like what i'm actually looking to do is figure out um how can i make sure i have enough money saved up for my 401k without compromising my morals and principles uh by taking on a job i don't actually want let's say right like that's a real conundrum that's like a real problem i have right not oh my gosh uh can i get my amazon shipping here a little bit fast um, i don't know and i just don't know that like if humans can't figure that shit out i don't know how a machine is going to be able to figure that out either right like
1: well, yeah. because it
2: feels like the machine is only being fed what we know it continues to be this reality issues thing brian where it's like there is no such thing as fiction because every fiction is our reality. Like every, we can't have true science fiction because we can still only posit a world we can imagine. Right. Like that's it. And this is still the same thing with the open. AI,
0: Yeah,
2: it has to. Right so if i ask it how do i solve this problem it's gonna say well in 1857 i read a journal that somebody solved this problem like this and then in 1916 i read a journal that somebody said they solved it like this and i'm like okay well but they didn't have like venmo or whatever you know like so how does what they did help me now yeah. they didn't have only fans right like yeah Anyway, I, I guess that's what I'm saying, right? Like the actual questions of humankind are not going to get solved by AI. No. Because it's, if especially if it's only pulling from that which has already come before. Yes. If the AI can only <clears throat> pull from that which has already come before, then it cannot and it will not be able to break out of that. I, I believe that fundamentally.
1: Yes, like, I, I tend to agree with that, yes. they will never be better than whatever we feed into it
2: mm-hmm. uh, i think
1: that's like some kind of law that needs to be developed of understanding about ai is that it can never truly it can't because it because in reality an ai cannot become self-aware in the real world which is something that people really really need to understand they don't understand that it's just not possible there's no magic spark there's no it
2: well well and here's the other No one's gonna accidentally do it if we
1: do it it's on purpose but it's not gonna just happen
2: (laughs) well but if there was some kind of magic spark that gave us consciousness yeah then that spark already exists here on this earth and i don't need to create ai to find it right because i mean isn't it oh my gosh okay i i read i read this story uh about an orca this week um let me see if i can find it um
1: thank you for letting me uh get excited Mm kathy
2: i'm sorry Mm -hmm. let me see Okay, so, so Brian, I read this article earlier this week, and I actually cried while I was reading it. Oh, okay, on a screen share. Yeah. Okay, so, oh, um, yeah. and I say that right. Um, uh, it's Christmas time. Okay. And um, when it's Christmas time, I become very. Uh, I get. I get very. I'll say emotional for a lot of different reasons, Uh, but primarily one is that I do believe that all creatures, great and small are worthy of life. And Christmas is challenging because for me as a Catholic, I really identify in my family life with the need to find a home Hmm. to, as an immigrant family, having to search for a place that will accept you. So as like, just as a story, I'm always moved by it. Um, I myself am moved by like twinkling lights and um, (laughs) the sound of bells and children's crying and singing and laughing. And I will like, I I will, I will cry if I go to a child's Christmas pageant. It doesn't matter that I've heard the same Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer song a million times. I just, I love it. It makes my heart swell, right? So I also believe this is true about all creatures, great and small. I, um, birds, spiders, bugs in my apartment. Uh, With what care and grace and compassion, I will pick them up and gently put them outside. Um, And that makes me upset because I want my spider friends in here. Actually, I I let them stay unless they look dangerous, you know, but. (laughs) So I was reading this story about an orca in captivity. Um, whom a large group of people and organizations from around the world came together to try to grant this orca whale her freedom after being captive for basically 50 years. And about a month or two before she was set to be released into this sanctuary ocean pen or whatever that was essentially created just for her, she died. In captivity oh. um of i'll say quote-unquote natural causes but that's the whole thing right like the diseases and ailments that she had were because she had been in captivity and um when you read this article um Uh, which is about 46 minutes if someone reads it to you, You just kind of pointing out how long the article is. Um, There were some descriptions of whale grief and whale consciousness and whale awareness. And I want to find it.
1: I just want to point out at the top of that article, the uh, red version does point out that it is human red. And then we live in the world that in I, just a year ago, we did our first little experimentation with like AI voices and stuff like that. And when now we already live in a world where the Washington post has to specify, not only are we past the point where like it was novel to have the AI voice at the top, they moved on to the point where it, not only is a human reading it, cause we find it a little distasteful to have the AI read version of it. They have to point it out so that we'll actually click and listen to it, knowing more that it's human and probably prefer that. That's how far we've gotten in a year. OK.
2: Um, so this, this is where um, there's a part in the article that the scientists kind of start talking about orca communities, orca society. All orcas around the world are the same species. The largest of the dolphin family they are divided into distinct populations that do not interbreed and rarely interact with each other tokite the whale whom we have been talking about her family of southern resident orcas range from northern california to southeastern alaska with their core habitat in the salish sea they are known for their close-knit social structure Uh, said Michael Weiss, research director at the Center for Whale Research on San Juan Island. The three matrilineal pods of southern resident whales, known as J-pod, K-pod, and L-pod, each communicate in their own specific dialect, and all are exceptionally bonded to their mothers. No one leaves their mom's group for their whole life, not the males nor the females. Life expectancy for female orcas, about 90 to 100. And males tend to, uh, uh, let me see, it says, female southern residents have been known to live as long as 90 or 100 years. Males are more than eight times as likely to die the year after their mother does. So the female whales keep going, but the male whales basically perish within a year of their mother dying. Regardless of their age, apparently. Like, I mean, eight times more likely? Yeah. Some say Tokate, the orca who just passed, might be the daughter of the oldest living orca.
0: Right?
2: Yeah, and L-pod matriarch known as Ocean Sun but this has never been confirmed couldn't
1: it be confirmed by DNA
2: I'm sure they're starting that already right Um, I'm sure I mean I would hope right Yeah. at nearly 100 years old Ocean Sun is the only southern resident who was alive at the time of the captures and thus would be the only orca on earth who could remember Tokatik and so then they also start talking about actually funny your dog should bark kind of like the intelligence of like the recognition they know each other they speak the language they like they recognize each other's voices
1: um i mean i i'm i'm gonna grab a fork real quick hang
2: on yeah 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 Okay, so... As they continue to kind of describe uh, why they, like, how they believe, like, these orca captures happened in the 1970s, and they kind of give a little bit more background about that process. A little later in the article, it continues about the consciousness of the whales. In 2018... The plight of the southern residents drew worldwide attention when an orca, known as Taliqua, gave birth to a female calf who died less than an hour later. The grieving mother carried the body of her newborn for 17 days, sometimes in her mouth, sometimes draped over her head or back. Her vigil made global headlines and many expressed astonishment to see an animal perform such an undeniable ritual of mourning.
0: Yeah. That's... Wow.
2: Two years later, Taliqua stunned onlookers again after giving birth to a healthy male cow. One of the scientists that is quoted extensively in this article was with the whale when she, when they spotted the, the newborn calf and she says suddenly two other southern resident pods came charging in from the west scores of whales soaring up and out of the water as they swam at top speed every member of the population was in attendance it was a super pod a cultural phenomenon unique to southern residents in which all three pods come together in one group. Superpods have anecdotally been observed to occur around occasions of social significance to wow. the animals, such as the birth or death of an orca, and this one was the first to occur in the area in several years.
1: Yeah, She was performing like a funeral rite.
2: hmm And the scientist here asks poses a question to us, the reader. It feels metaphysical. How did they hear? How did they know?
1: Well, I think they might literally be able to hear. I don't think that there's, like, a question there. I think they can... I think that might be an answer.
2: Okay, so let me see. I want to find this other one. So, <gasps> Tokate has been being housed in the Miami Seaquarium.
1: Oh. I didn't even know there was one okay
2: i guess it was from once upon a time um and so this is what i wanted to kind of emphasize okay so uh the the miami Seaquarium, brian is where you live tis uh, you will remember that we talked about the um, uh, these particular whales live in the Pacific Ocean from the coast of Alaska to California. So, please bear this in mind, Brian, that Tokate the whale is in Miami and they are trying to bring her back to her ancestral homeland where all of these whales actually are. Yeah, so yeah. In this article they then go on to talk a little bit more about the Superpod. the letter out. Um Mhm.
1: So like
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm just thinking here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like this seems like this seems like this should be like um like much bigger news.
2: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay, so okay. Here's where it gets mind-blowing, Brian. Yeah. I want to point out that like uh sh- her health turns in August. She's months away from coming to her ancestral home in the Alaskan waters, okay? But in the summer, she falls ill. August 14th through August 18th, until she finally, I think, passes away that very day. So we're looking at August 18th. Hmm. Now, this is the part, Brian, that is mind-blowing. They began arriving on the afternoon of August 17th. Members of all three pods of southern resident orcas made their way into the Harrow Strait off the western shore of San Juan Island. Dozens of dark bodies surfacing together beneath scattered clouds and the distant Olympic Mountains. It was technically a near superpod a few of the whales would not arrive in the Salish Sea until days later, and the odd onlookers who watched the orcas greeting and socializing with one another that day did not yet realize the synchronicity that the gathering was taking place in Tokate's final hours. 3,000 miles apart from the last survivor of their stolen family, the southern residents Came together in the waters where she was born. Oh my God. Filling the air with the sound of their voices. By the following day, when tokete died, only a small group of L pod whales remained near the southern shore of the island. Deborah Giles, the scientist that has been being quoted, was on the water with them in her research boat and she watched ocean's son the matriarch who is possibly tokete's mother as she distanced herself from the others almost as if she were seeking a moment alone whether they somehow know even across space or distance that something is happening a birth or that an animal is dying I can't possibly say, Giles said. What I can say is that these are animals are smarter than I think we know. She doesn't gravitate towards the mystical, she said, but neither does she dismiss a sense of possibility. Against the limits of our own understanding, we can only wonder at theirs. Oh my
1: god. Yeah, no, that's like undoubtedly not just some coincidence.
2: No, undoubtedly not. So I was reading that and I as as I am right now in tears. And I was I mean, I was bawling. I was like oh, I was yeah. like on the like I was like I was just having a normal morning. Tyler leaves for work at eight. I don't go to work until ten. So I'm like puttering around like drinking coffee and like feeding the birds and like doing whatever dumb shit I gotta do and then I stop every once in a while, read the news and I was bawling. I was bawling by the end of this article. Um, it goes on a little bit more. Um, they talk to some of the indigenous folks who... Um, so the indigenous people of the Lumi uh, Reservation up in Alaska, they call orcas their sea-bound ancestors. Interesting. And they believe that the orcas are their family that they are all the same family that they aren't a different they this is part of their you know belief system and so here in this washington post article they talk quite a bit about that
1: oh wait morris hold on go back what was the um what was the name of it's that the person? name
2: of this lady yeah
1: yeah but i know uh, they're from where are they from
2: I just, um, I just, well, cause I know
1: someone who's like into this kind of like whole in the native. Uh,
2: Raynell so. Morris is, uh, not... I guess uh, she's an elder in the tribe. Okay. Yeah.
1: I, cause I know, I know a Morris f- from that has that name from a native tribe from the area. That's interesting. I don't know if maybe they're, related. well, who knows? Maybe they're related. Yeah. Interesting.
2: You know, a <laughs> um, few
1: native people I know. That's one. Yeah.
2: Of them, so. And so, uh, they, they, uh, the article ends with a description of um, uh, their funerary rites for for the orca. Um, they, uh, the, I guess the marine agencies, whatever that is. I guess they did like a necropsy on the oh. on the whale, um, and then unfortunately they had cremator because of that situation so oh. they were the tribe wasn't able to like actually I guess bury her according to their kind of traditional rites, but that they did send off the the ashes of the uh, of the whale and so this was very big for them as a as an indigenous group an indigenous yeah, it, nation. Seem, seem like it, it yeah. was the first time they had been able to re, essentially repatriate uh, one of the orcas back to where they had been taken from, because that was also true for Free Willy, right? Who's like, and like the blackfish fish that was Tilikum, that was like another one, right? So like <clears throat> oh God, yeah. these these stories of these like captured whales. This anyway, like, it was no,
1: that's like incredible.
2: It is an amazing article. I really uh, urge you to read it. Read it's, it's a really long read, yeah, but it's. It's called the Call of Tokutei, and it was in the uh, Washington Post. Um, but uh, no, wow. So, so consciousness, right? So here you have a woman who is studying and spending all her time with these whales, learning their kind of. Uh, their behaviors, their whole deal, learning about the lore, the mythology, I guess. I don't really know what to call that, but <laughs> the the cult, the cultural relevance of the Orca, I guess. And, uh...
1: The Orca is...
2: Why are we so concerned with, like, machine consciousness when the Orca is right there, right?
1: <laughs> well, Orca consciousness is probably above ours, I'm going to assume. So
2: like what like like to me that's like the what proves it right like so here we have orca intelligence way smarter than we are they're not doing any of this shit they're not like oh let's make orca ai no they're like fuck your boat fuck your boat fuck your rudder i hope you fall into the ocean and they're right they're right to do it look at us we're kidnapping their people and like throwing our garbage into their house like Sorry, no. We're Israel to the orcas. I'm gonna fucking say it. I'll say it. I said it. You know?
1: <laughs> no, it's true. And I think that if we were to um, get anywhere near a, an orca slash killer whale, as they were called, and then movies of our 90s youth...
2: Oh, yeah. Clearly named by
1: humans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> like... I mean, what, what surprise would it be that they would be attacking us if they had super intelligence? We deserve it in every possible way.
2: Hell yeah, we do. <laughs> there didn't used to be plastic in the oceans, Brian. There just really didn't.
1: Not even that long ago.
2: <laughs> no! No, oh my god, so, like, one of my... Here's here's another... I, I think I've shown you this. It's one of my favorite accounts. It's called Lego Lost at Sea. I think I was telling... I think we were talking about it when I was reading the book about the, like, ocean... Like, the sh- shipping containers that fall into the sea. And there's this woman in, like... Somewhere in Great Britain that gets, like, a lot of the, like, ocean detritus. And so she has been going around picking up garbage her entire life or whatever and so she wrote this book about all the garbage she finds and it's all like plastic um and like
1: yeah I love that book
2: yeah yeah um but it is really funny because there's so many times when there will be like hey we found like the world's oldest piece of plastic We found this from 1973. We identified this piece of toy from 1940. It's nuts. Yeah.
0: Yep.
1: I like that book. I'll put it over here in the book Um, pile.
2: I'm just saying, right? Like this is what we're doing. You are this this would. We're, we're creating all of this mess.
1: And we're really good at it. We're exceptionally good at it because we're not even thinking about the fact we're doing it. In fact, we're kind of just thinking about... We, we should. We should. How about this? Every time we create a piece of plastic, we should think about how we're ending... We should uh, imagine that we're just taking it and we're just throwing it right in the ocean.
0: Mm-hmm. Every,
1: every single time. Because even if it ends up at a landfill... Many years from now, that that stuff's not going to be that's there. That's where it's going to go, uh-huh. yeah. It'll yeah. be
2: underwater, right?
1: And then it'll leak into the ocean.
2: Did you also see this very horrifying tweet of a UN uh, humanitarian mission that was handing out toys to Palestinian children? Oh my! That's God. right. The toys were fake food. Now, mind you, they're actually starving over yeah, there right so now. so fucked. So here's here's our dystopia, Brian. Here is our reality. I think that might be the dystopia. album cover right there. Yep. Yeah, right. Reality issues, dystopia. Like, what is it that we're doing, right? It kind of goes to this thing that William Faulkner was saying, which is like, where's the humanity in all this, right? If if now we've really uh, mm-hmm.
1: we've really done it, mm-hmm. Kathy. Like, we're at a point where I think everyone. This is why we feel this way. Everyone, our whole lives, people were always having these false scares of moments where humanity has truly lost it. You know, mm-hmm. the 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 Satanism is like one thing I'm really thinking of. Like, ooh, they were all spooked out in the 60s and 70s and 80s about D&D and all this shit. They were wrong every single time. And I don't think that we're like, even in the same categories being evaluated that way. I just think that like, we're in, a, we're in a situation where the rapid pace of humanity has gotten to a point where even when there is another groundbreaking development in one direction or another, in any specific way, things are happening so fast that it's hard to even get a grasp of where you are at any given time. And I've been talking about this is not like an age thing or like a, I don't think anyone in any generation, I think it's actually the key issue with everything that's happening, there is so much, and that's not even, I don't want to say information overload as much as it is. Um, there is no way to, because that's, that's oversimplifies it. There is no way to, when we can see an image like that, like the plastic food and go, well, that's extremely fucked, but someone else is not looking, they're not thinking that at all when they're looking at that. They're like, it's going, not only is it going completely over their head, it's not even, they're not even in the realm of what they think about. It's not, it would never occur to them in any possible way. Um, and I don't think that's just because we were born in, like, the 80s. I don't think that's the case. I think seeing that and recognizing it, either you want to, rec- <laughs> I don't know, I, that's the difference. What it is, what it is about well- recognizing it?
0: Because uh, it's fucked Brian, up. There's crazy, blood?
1: insane things happening literally every day, and they're not all like, you know, some kind of horrible uh, world ending thing. Sometimes it is, but also sometimes it's just you see something so completely insane, you're like, how could this happen on the same day as all these other things? Uh huh. Uh huh. And how is um, my world not, like, completely twisted in a way that's beyond all recognition, in a way that no other time previous has ever been in some more meaningful way than saying, like, oh, it's more complicated than the. 90s than the 80s or something like that
2: well I, I i think that's exactly what's happening brian it's like we are losing our it's minds like about
0: Yeah. It. it's like, yeah, a log because
2: like <laughs> yeah because like like um okay so here's here's a couple things that i've also been kind of struck by right um like like it's bad things are bad right however bad things used to be they're worse right like yes uh Talking to activist friends who were like actively involved in protesting and uh, at Occupy and like the Iraq War and like the the Gulf War, like the WTO and like all this shit, Afghanistan and Karl. R- like I remember being in the streets at that time when everyone was like, "No, oh, fuck them! Like we gotta go over there and nuke them!" Right? Like it, this is different, and I think it's different for a couple of different things that I'm also trying to like really get to like or like make sense of something about like the war in vietnam was highly televised which is why people hated it yeah and that's why it ended right because yes. the more of those images were presented and shown the show those numbers every fuck day. fuck that get our kids down right Scroll get, the names. get us get our babies home yeah. yep and then that didn't happen anymore by the time you and i are the ones being sent off to war and our friends are the ones being sent off to war right like no, that was when we had embedded journalists, and that's when we were we had free speech zones, and we were like, there was no media coverage, and you couldn't find, right? Like just the way you can right now, you can go to you can open your TikTok, right, and your or whatever, and your Snapchatty, and you can look that up. And there will be footage from Gaza right now.
1: Yes, undoubtedly.
2: When you and I were of that age during the Afghanistan War, post nine eleven. The only way you could see footage of that shit was because you were like that nerd who was going to live lead, lively, or you were in the you were in the forums, right? You were right. like, you were a nerd. Yes. that's how you knew about it, and yeah, that's to, different. Totally. Mm-hmm. So our consciousness brian i uh, as our generation i think is undergoing some other cosmic shift like the boomers are getting madder but they're because they're poisoned with lead Lead. and no one's listening to them (laughs) Uh anymore right everyone's basically like let's get you to bed grandma shut the fuck up but they're that's what they're petulant about right because they're like but we're the experts it's like yeah you were i guess but you're the one who put us here so go away now yeah um
1: none of what you say has makes any sense now so
2: yeah now so like whatever but what we're realizing, I think our generation quickly, and the, I think the Gen Zers, the Gen Alphas now are going to be the ones who really have to reckon with it. But, um, no, like it's, it's whatever this is, this is here. Yeah. Uh, whatever fascist dystopia we thought uh, wasn't coming, it's here. It's coming, and, and it's, it's
1: only going to be slightly different than we expected, but it's coming. Yeah.
2: Because, it t- I mean, look at it. Like, you, you, people who are scared to like say shit I'm like I don't know I, I, we can't say things what we want Like, no uh, it's, it's 1984
1: where doublespeak is real where I yeah. live my life in a place where I want to like you know I don't know be like the Jedi master of fucking doublespeak that's like always been yeah. kind of my goal I've always lived that way anyway before I knew anything about fucking politics anyway so then when you know, I become aware of any other kind of sphere it's not even any different
2: so So i'm gonna continue to double down on my beliefs brian that our hyper locality is the only thing that's gonna save us right Uh, at the end of the day when the because here's here's at least the good news right like um you know how you have all these like cyber truck people who are like i'm gonna survive the apocalypse in my cyber truck it's like no dude no you're not because you can't drive but then Plus, like you're gonna hit one pothole, you're done. And then, what about your electric car chargers? You don't think that in the like in this Mad Max apocalypse, everyone is pausing to like let your car recharge? Like that's not not happening. Yeah. Um, That said, though, that belief that like kind of like this accelerationist of the crisis versus how do we slow it? I'm hearing something about that AI debate in our actual reality. Right. There's this sense of like, fuck it. Let's just let her rip, man. Like yeah. let's just fucking drill the rest of the oil and burn it all down, and then I guess that then we can't make it any worse, right? Then we've literally hit rock bottom like the alcoholics we are. Yeah. Um but that's fucked,
1: right? It is. No, it is. And that's why I think that at the same time with AI, I think that were we to here, let me move the microphone. <clears throat> In the real world. Now I don't believe that AI can, like, take over the world and launch nukes and stuff. I think that it's technically out of its capability for now. However, were we to continue on a pace for 10 years with that kind of belief and were to new advancements to be made perhaps in the realms of quantum computing, which actually seems like it's a real thing, um, you know, in 15, 20 years maybe. But, you know, attitudes now set attitudes later and were the attitudes of now to continue into a realm where we weren't talking about technical improbabilities anymore, then it's very, very dangerous to have the mindset of like that basically libertarian attitude of like, well, whatever, <laughs> when it comes to anything practical minds of safety or regard to like future, you know, unpredictability. And um, I think that it's very exciting to think about a world in which we do let ai rip um uh because i think that right now were we just just like you know develop unpredictably i don't think it would have much more of an outcome than hollywood being mad that like it can write a better script than they can currently like that's all it can be but 10 years down the road when it's you know much more developed and you know people are having like you know day-to-day conversations with it all the time and they're like living with it as like a virtual spouse or something like that movie um or that black mirror episode um i think people are going to think about it a lot differently and once we have it that close and we've been going full speed for a decade no one's gonna want to slow down much like a smartphone you give a person a smartphone their entire life becomes about that smartphone our whole world has been developed into that smartphone Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to check
2: my I, quick. yeah I think we need to get rid of our screens I mean' again our screens are kind of coming yes. out. yeah no uh, we need bed. to
1: return <laughs> to like living on like a little ranch and like reading our books and like we check in on like the computer Making terminal tomatoes. in the corner of the house it's yeah. it's attached to like the wall it's like you the have one like, telephone yes yeah the
2: one telephone
1: yeah everyone has a user on it but we only kind of like check into the technology world like maybe you know a couple times a day or something we go to the device to get to it and then you leave and walk away and like ride your horse or something
2: i don't
1: know yeah <laughs> i'll be right back Let's see. I no, of no, they've successfully eaten an entire container of my takeout food here. Let's look at um, Hall versus Oates. Yes. <clears throat> Hall v. Oates.
2: My money's on Oates.
1: My money's on Oates as well. Watch out, boys. Daryl's Restrain Order. I'm just going to read the article verbatim. Say it ain't so. Daryl Hall is enmeshed in a legal battle with his longtime musical partner, John Oates. Going so far as to request a restraining order. Little information about the legal squabble is publicly available, as the court documents are sealed. But the Philadelphia Inquirer reported Tuesday that Hall filed a lawsuit against Oates. In another report, TMZ claims the performers were in arbitration over some dispute, possibly over division of royalties, or it could be over Oates signing—excuse or me—singing their songs in solo acts. Continues though. The outlet said Hall requested a restraining order against Oates, which the judge granted Hall 77 Oates 75 joined forces as Hall and Oates in 1970 and released a string of hits, including she's a rich girl. There you go. Um, what's that one? Uh, she's gone. I, I, I've heard that one. She's a man eater. A lot of she's something. A lot of those. Um, and also (laughs) out of touch, uh, I believe that's "She's Out of Touch." Is that one too? Um, She's let's see.
2: Out of touch, out of touch, that one.
1: That's it. Dreams come true. I
2: have seen Hall and Oates in concert at oh. the Hollywood Bowl. I just need to put that out. There. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Well, they have recorded 21 albums together and sold more than 80 million units, making them the most successful duo in music history. How about that? You, Kathy, you yourself have seen music's most successful duo. In history perform live that's pretty awesome uh, still despite having uh, each a solo career they are t- they never officially split up uh, interesting I never knew that and uh, have continued to tour together over the years Hall however has hinted at alleged issues with Oates in the past last year Hall took an apparent dig at his partner on Bill Maher's Club Random podcast of course Bill Maher would have a podcast called Club Random saying you think John Oates is my partner. He's my business partner. He's not my creative partner. Oh boy. He went on, John and I are brothers, but we are not creative brothers. We are business partners. We made records called Hall and Oates together, but we've always really been separate. And that's really important for me. Says a man who's made 21 albums with another man. (laughs) They're totally separate. (laughs) That's Kathy. That is mm-hmm. a lot of albums. That is like yeah. every other year that, for that, their entire time, time also, they've been together.
2: That is also like a lot of albums for people who apparently don't really want to spend time with each other.
1: Which <laughs> yeah, so they do this by email. Did they just like? like
2: well, yeah, what is like? Oh, just, send no, we're like a riff. People, back and forth. Like, <laughs> oh my I God. know that we're called Hall and Oats. <laughs> we have like. Like a, if that's the case, so not <laughs> it just be like two guys are equal. <laughs> that yeah. would be my band
1: name. Yeah. Two, two guys, guys two equal.
2: <laughs> two, two guys. One guy equal one guy. That's gonna be my new band.
1: That's why I just put our artist name as our name for the podcast. I just put because it was like, I don't know. It's what we are. Um, <laughs> And I figured the person posting it should put the other names, the other person's name first and that creates the equity. That was like my idea at the time. Well, was, like, or,
2: or why, yeah, or why not like alternate it, right? Like, oh, yeah. You know how like Lennon McCartney, you know, like yeah. depending on who wrote it, eras. Like different eras. <laughs> yeah, why not just have like Hall and Oates for this year and then next year, like next year's album, Oates and Hall. And okay. then that way you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Okay, they are just how about one this? guy equal one guy.
1: Without looking it up, do you think they ever made an album named Oates and Hall? <laughs> 'Cause I think
2: No. No. Okay. I'm gonna say no. Okay. I'm gonna say they were like I'm sure the like marketing team at like they'd be
1: like confused.
2: Yeah, their A and R guy or whatever was all like, Oh, well, you're gonna confuse the market. But I think if you had gone Oats and Hall, Hall and Oats, Oats and Hall, Hall and Oats, like I think eventually by album number six everyone would have figured it out, right? Like we're
1: <laughs> Yeah. Uh,
2: I mean, maybe they didn't believe in themselves. Like, maybe it's like, well, what if we only come out with one album? (laughs) We'll never be Oates and Hall then.
1: Yeah, how about this? Hall claimed that their number one song, Kiss on My List, was not really a collaborative experience. Oates is not credited as a songwriter on Kiss on My List, but is listed as co-producer with Hall. I did all these harmonies, Hall said on Mare. That's all me. Marcus my kiss, Marcus my kiss is on my list. No, no, no. Oh, it's all layered together there. He's taking credit for all that. I mean, it's a two person act, and there's two people singing. So I really, when you're harmonizing with someone else, in fact,
2: I don't know. So Can you really so take credit? I went to the & Oates wiki page because I feel like they're going to be authoritative. So here's oh, yeah. how they say it. Okay. Okay, so they they start by saying. Daryl Hall and John Oates redirects here for their 1975 album see Daryl Hall and John Oates parentheses album oh Daryl Hall and without the ampersand and John Oates commonly known as Hall Ampersand Oats, are an American pop rock ampersand B duo formed in Philadelphia <laughs> in 1970.
1: I think that might be the name of the episode, but please continue. <laughs> rock Ampersand are... Roll.
2: <laughs> yeah, oh my God, <laughs> Though they are commonly referred to Hall Ampersand Oats, Hall has been adamant about the duo being called Daryl Hall, Ampersand, John Oates. Wow. It's official name. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best part of it. Oh, my
1: God. That's the best thing that could have come out of us reading about
2: this. (laughs) Hold on, hold on. There's still a couple more lines, really. Hold on.
1: Okay, please.
2: Though they are commonly (coughs) referred to as Hall, Ampersand, Oates. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, They have been credited on albums as Daryl Hall, Ampersand, John Oates. And sometimes as Daryl Hall, John Oates, no commas, no ampersands (laughs) on all of their US releases. Okay, so when you go down to members, because it has been identified as a duo, it'll say musical duo. And then it says Daryl Hall. Here's what he's responsible for vocals, okay. Yeah. Guitars, okay. Right. Keyboards, okay. Okay. Mandolin. Oh, wow. That's vibraphone. sexy.
1: Oh, okay. That's that like little John one you play no, like on up the here. Other hand, okay.
2: I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm guessing. I don't know. <laughs> oh, there's a photo of the vibraphone. Okay. Oh, it looks like it's a. Uh, it looks like a xylophone. I you and see. I would probably have called it a xylophone, but I oh, guess okay. it's different than a vibraphone. But okay. I guess it's only important to vibraphonists. <laughs>
1: yeah they oh real distinction. they are also
2: known as vibraphonist Vibraharpist, or vibist.
1: Oh, how about a, a, a I almost <laughs> said it right vibes. A revisionist hold on <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's what I was trying to say vibraist uh, so hall ampersand oats um, are currently at a disagreement. Over unclear um, terms, there no one really wants to own up to what they're really a disagreement about.
2: I mean, they couldn't even agree on the ampersand or the end.
1: <laughs> they can't they can't agree on what they're disagreeing that about. That was easy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: clearly the ampersand yeah just looks it's cool. attractive it's then like
1: you, m&ms it's it's like a stolen you get to use that ampersand that's built you know, in. and
2: now now they could now they could open a coffee shop they could call hall and oats oh right? man like and mm-hmm. just it'll be in that font you know yeah that etsy font you know what I
1: mean. yeah
2: mm-hmm.
1: no i'm 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 ready
2: no, I'm very I very excited.
1: I want to see uh, a Holland Oats um, like ice cream and chocolate shop right next to like, in Ghirardelli in San Francisco. Oh, wait hold
2: on <laughs> Right next to the Ben ampersand Jerry's <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's what I had in my head the whole time. I don't know okay. <laughs> it worked. Uh, when Richard Dick Harry DeVoe opened his first Buick Cadillac dealership north of Naples in 1968. It came
2: Another guy with a normal name.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's Richard Dick Harry DeVoe. Wait. Yeah, he just has all the names. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it's 1968. It came with a risk. To most, the location at 4100 US 41 North seemed too remote. Surrounded by pine trees and palmetto bushes, the dealership still stands today, bearing the DeVoe name, a reminder of its founder's foresight and fortitude. DeVoe, 94, died October 28th, but his legacy lives on in more ways than one through a group of family-owned dealerships focused on all the classics, customer service, and the community. Decades ago, the new dealership thrived under DeVoe's strong and steady hand as the Naples community grew around it. Uh, while some may have questioned the location Phil wood president and CEO of John R wood properties which should be noted as like probably the biggest non like the biggest like privately owned property developer in the area of like the nicest homes and stuff like that the biggest projects of you know if you're gonna build like a cute business park or something like that um, said the brand choice made a complete sense as Cadillac had become a Isn't this is true. A hot thing among the affluent who are uh, settling nearby this is like i remember like my grandfather all the if you're a grandfather had any retirement money you're buying like your cadillac from this dealership uh-huh. um there weren't any mercedes bmws or Lexus around very much well there wasn't lexus because lexus didn't exist as a brand sir um mostly all of the wealthy people had cadillacs so he did really great with them Over more than 50 years, DeVoe's automotive enterprise expanded through additional locations and franchises, including Pontiac, GMC, Isuzu, Saab, Hummer, Subaru, Volvo, and Infiniti. Four of those don't exist anymore. (laughs) Today, Cadillac remains its original location in a now highly desirable spot across the street from a Wendy's. (laughs) With the Buick, GMC, and Subaru still doing business nearby, operated through a second and third generation of DeVoe family. They're great business people and hard workers, Wood said, so it's no surprise they've done so well with it. And it just goes on to talk about uh, him growing up in town and being in the Senior Olympics, basically. But yeah, he's a local character. There's uh, some pictures of him here. But um, if you look in like the early history of anything in, in Cape Coral or Fort Myers, that guy sponsored literally everything his name is on the top or bottom right or left of every flyer or anything that's ever put out in a lot of uh these maps of like the cities the, the tourist maps they put out they did be like you know devo cadillac or whatever beyond so it's just kind of like uh, one of those local icons disappearing into it's the night yeah.
2: yeah i mean it's sweet that they're like remembering him as like a cultural character
1: yeah, it's, it's, th- these, it's very these are,
2: cause these are, these are the things we're losing, Brian. Exactly. Like, like this seems really <clears throat> silly, but it's true. Like, uh, cause it's all corporate. Yes. So you don't have just like the one weird, eccentric uncle who's like, I'm gonna sell RVs
1: in the middle of nowhere. Yeah.
2: And, and have the weirdest commercial on late night TV, right? Because, like, this is also kind of the, these other things that I'm kind of trying to, like, Come to terms with as the world dies around us, right? Like uh, the internet, which gives us all of this awful information, and yet now we can't control it in the way we used to, right? Like we yeah. can't post the way we used to. Yeah. We can't, like, you know, we have to get like approval tokens or whatever,
1: like... <laughs> or mental approval tokens, anyway. Yeah, yeah, you
2: know, yeah something <laughs> like that, you know. And um, but, like, we used to have like a shared culture. Yes. And what I mean by that is like um, when you and I were growing up, there were exactly six sitcoms on TV.
1: Yes. We used to call and some people call that monoculture, ones. right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like the monoculture, yes, right? But the opposite of that, the plurality of the culture, what it's also done is fragmented us, right? Yeah. Because now we don't have this like... so So think of like what a phenomenon it was, even when episodes of Twin Peaks, episodes of The X Files, episodes of whatever were about to drop the new WWE SmackDown, yeah, which was rare, which was it wasn't like every other weekend, it was like WrestleMania, yeah, once a year, huge, like big deal, like get tickets pay-per-view watch it a week later on regular tv because you're poor or whatever fine but it was only the one yeah and so like it was like on the zeitgeist right and now it's like i used to be able to name wrestlers because it was monocultured enough at least that yes. it was like easily digestible yeah. even if i didn't know much about Same. it i could name wrestlers i could be like hulk hogan is also now doing a lunchables commercial yes And so I could, that crossover, I was like, oh, okay, I understand what wrestling is. And now, and and again, it's like, like, I'm trying to like, kind of feel it out. What it's created is like a monotony now where no one has seen what you've seen. And therefore no one can talk to you about it unless they happen to have been watching it at the same time, right? Like, and so now that opportunity to be at the office on Monday morning around the water cooler, like, hey, did you see that (laughs) one big episode of Sex in the City? it's it's all everyone's talking about you couldn't even participate in that because now everyone's like like who's like what show is like that that's like cultural the
1: last one i can remember was game of thrones and that wasn't as even as huge as that was it was never as big as like friends was or you know any of those i mean friends is probably the biggest example maybe you know i'm sure there was some dramas maybe after that you know er was a big thing that might have been before that though but oh sopranos was like a huge was the whole kind of country talking about sopranos you know in that way
2: yeah yeah
1: i mean it's not like you know But
2: i think that's when we're starting to fragment right yeah you're right also like the rise of like cable and that's
1: that's yeah, you're right that breaks the whole formula of what we're saying too yeah you're right
2: and so now I think we're all like trying to connect to like some random subculture and people, like, as opposed to, again, which isn't really a problem, then that's what the monoculture creates. It creates a subculture that is in itself a monoculture. So if you're emo, there is a prepackaged list of bands you're supposed to be listening to, like My Chemical Romance or whatever. And if you're a Swifty, there's a prepackaged look with sequins and ruffles that's there for you. And there's also a list of other artists that are acceptable and not problematic because they're nice to Taylor Swift. Yes. And then, same thing with like literally anything else. Any sphere. Right? So, like, know. any sphere. Like, so it's this monoculture, even as it's trying to be like really unique, right? Which is why we have all the Michaela's with the extra GHs. Uh-huh. You're still just a Michaela. Your name isn't really that special, you know? And uh, Michaela is just Michael with an A. It was the it's true. Brianna, you
1: know, <laughs> I think that is a name, isn't it? People say it is Bri- now. Bri- Bri- Brianna, is that a name? Oh yeah, oh, no. Brianna. Yeah. How about that? I never thought about that one.
0: Huh?
2: I'm I'm concerned about. So that's also why I'm concerned about how real any of this is, right? Because like you have all of these monoculture AI fans. are like this is exactly what it's like and it's like yeah but you don't like talk to anyone. how do you know that's what it's really going to be like like nobody knows shit
1: how about this i say that the back and forth that these folks have about that ai stuff like whether or not it's going to destroy the world is completely purposeless anyway because it is going to proceed at whatever pace it proceeds at and even if you restrict it in the public eye outside the public eye they're going to be doing everything that's all the dangerous stuff anyway So it's all going to get there, no matter what. And those people who work on those projects will come back to the other projects and spread it all around anyway, and it won't matter. There's no secret information programming.
2: Well, this is also what seems strange to me, Brian. Like, so I've I've said this so many times in the sphere of politics when I'm like at city council, and people are like, "Aren't you scared about crime?" And I'm like, "No, I'm. No one's mugging me. No one's assaulting me at the ATM." on paseo de peralta and alameda that's just simply not happening right? yeah. but what is happening is i'm going to actually like hit a pothole in my bike go head over heels and crack my skull open right or whatever and then get hit by a car even if my helmet works right like because yeah. traffic in the city is awful and i guess what i'm saying is we're still focused on the wrong risk because even if i were to believe the ai accelerationist fear-mongering or whatever the fuck all of that is like yeah. oh ai's gonna kill us i'm like we're killing us yo like we're the ones we got air quality that's shot to hell we got genocide being you know carried out in front of our very eyes while we're like powerless to do a yeah turn it thing into about a normal
1: it. event. Yeah. But...
2: I can't do anything about the plastic packaging at the grocery store so that even if I decided today that I did not want to use any plastic material anymore ever in my life, I'm <coughs> still fucked.
1: Yeah. It's the not society even society has
2: set me up to fail, right? So uh, and then even if I could, now I'd have to worry about, oh, I have to be a trad wife and afford mason jars to get rid of all the plastic. Like, who has that money? Yeah. Nobody has that. So and also,
1: just- yeah, all those specialist avenues that are getting you away from all those things become like someone's weird hobby. And so it's super expensive. Like-
2: so if I'm going to hand-wring about how AI is killing us, why am I not hand ringing about the more obvious threat? the plastic in the ocean the like the the petroleum the climate acceleration and i think brian here's where it's coming to me i think yet again it comes back to this thing this idea that you and i have been attacked by leopards before
1: ah yes yes
2: and i guess for our listeners who weren't privy to that conversation (laughs) brian and i once talked about how is it that people are aware of their surroundings, let's say, or are aware of risks and dangers, right? So when I go to a restaurant, the most actual threat in front of me is food poisoning. The second biggest threat is that there's some weirdo with a gun who's just going to decide to start opening fire on him. So I have two things that I can do. One, wash my fucking hands. And then two, I guess I just have to keep my eyes on the door.
1: <sighs> Sorry, I had to walk here, out here, Kathy.
2: No, 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 no big deal. All I was saying, right, was that, like, if the two threats at the restaurant are food poisoning and some random weirdo, then I guess I just want to make sure that, like, they have good health <coughs> practices, because that's the actual risk, right?
1: No, that's exactly the risk, and that's exactly what we were just talking about before, where, well, you said it. You said hyperlocality, right? Mm-hmm
2: where are we, right, like, why, like, it's so, I don't know, I, I, it feels, it feels like we're, the witnessing of the things that are happening feels different than the witnessing of things before, and they feel uh, apocalyptic, dystopian, uh, and terrifying in a way that I haven't actually ever felt before. Um, no, I, I agree, and I
1: don't think it's just our, I don't think it's even just our growing awareness of it, I think it's literally just the amount of things that are happening that are you know with even limited foresight of potential outcomes are like overlapping in a way that seems to like at some point I don't know imply like mathematically that something will be very unfortunate in just a number of years you know what I mean like that's really what it is she wants dinner but yeah like
2: well, Brian, this might be a good time to play.
1: <laughs> Yes. Hold it on, might I just be
2: dinner time for all of us.
1: Yes, I think that's actually a good idea. Um, I want to just read very quickly about cursive coming back, and then we can end because I think this is very Please. strange and cute. Uh, cursive comes back now that kids can't read grandma's letters. Many schools wrote off the handwriting style in an era of keyboards, but push revives it. This is in the Wall Street Journal like, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Sarah Rendazzo, Compton, California. Actually, didn't read that before. In a classroom in Anderson Elementary on a recent Thursday, third graders lined up to have their pencils sharpened to a crisp point before beginning a cursive lesson. The students put graphite to paper, copying simple sentences like, Do you want to jump into this pile of leaves? Music played lightly in the background of the otherwise pin drop silent room. Teacher Bertha Robles said she heard clatter or chatter during independent lessons like math but focus reigns during cursive they're very into it she said it's something new to them the scene is set to play out across california when a new law goes into effect in january mandating cursive instruction for all elementary school children in the state the words look much cooler than normal words anderson elementary third grader nathan Walters said while practicing his looping script Let's see. Oh, no. Let's go there. There we go. All right. More than a decade after many wrote the obituary for the handwriting style, because of widely adopted Common Core curriculum standards that made no mention of it, cursive is making a comeback. New Hampshire passed its own cursive mandate this year, and Michigan legislators pushed a bill that would strongly encourage schools to teach it. About half the states now have a law or state standard requiring cursive instruction. Many of them passed in recent years. Uh, Let's see. California legislator Sharon Cork-Silva, who scripted the California law, has had cursive on her mind since meeting then-Governor Jerry Brown in 2016 dinner. So what what do you think about this? I have um, suspicions this is some kind of like Regression of something, but also at the same time, I think it's like cute for kids to learn cursive handwriting. So I, I don't know, like, how to feel about this.
2: Um, I think in the like, I think it's less about regressiveness. I do think that in brain development, um, so uh, so here's something that has bothered me for a long time as a math teacher, and that is when math teachers tell their students to not count on their hands. Um and that is because there is something in the brain that occurs with spatial thinking and spatial recognition and the like tact, tactile of like let's say even just going like the brain five ten fifteen twenty hmm. it's do there's some connection there that we don't understand right so again yeah. this, i think this is all about consciousness and learning if we're trying to understand yeah. how a machine does it we have to understand how we do it and we don't learn just by only using our mind's eye, like we we are experiential creatures. We know, for example, that the yeah. very creation of a tool becomes an extension of our body somehow. E- even something as simple as a fork in human brain is like this is a tool, a car too, right so, a calculator, our fingers, these are all tools for us. And when I look at how ancients used to count, a lot of ancient civilizations did not set up numerical counting with like symbols. They were doing tactile representations like an abacus,
0: mm-hmm.
2: or uh, in Peru and South America, they were using the quipu, which is basically a knotted rope or a thread. And they would put knots in various locations to indicate the number and place, right? So basically an abacus. But I know like, that that's features rope. heavily
1: in Death Stranding, the, the the kipu, yeah.
2: So, and other civilizations would use their hands for complicated counting and arithmetic. So you and I learned in grade school, one, two, three, four, five, ten 10 fingers on our hands, 20 on our toes, right? And maybe we can use 10, 20, 30, and we could go off of that, but... Ancient civilizations were using their hands, the lines on the knuckles, oh. the outer knuckles, and the wrists and the elbows, and eventually the rest of their body to symbolize amounts. So, think also how baseball players communicate, right? So, if I touch my nose and then my ear, that means different than if I touched my left ear or my right ear, even if I touched my nose first, wow. right? It's different. Yeah. So that kind of messaging, symbol and language development, our hands are important for that. So counting and being able to go 5, 10, 15, 20, while we're touching something, even like counters or movement, we learn it better. That's the same thing with the word. The word is doing something and language is doing something and writing it is doing something. So think about it like this, Brian. You look in your fridge. Hmm. And you make a list, a mental list, of the ten items you need. Okay. And let's say you write them down. All right. And then you leave the house and you realize that you forgot Mm. the list.
1: Oh, most definitely.
2: Okay. How many of those items are you likely to remember? Versus... If you had never written it down in the first place, oh! You see, your brain has now done two things. Yeah, the that's first instance, g- guaranteed instance you of create, uh-huh. yes. So you're Better almost success.
1: relearning because I, I did learn cursive. I'm sure you did too. But um, uh, that's funny. I hadn't thought about. It's basically relearning, like lettering and relearning writing, in a so way. So here's another one. You yeah. know,
2: people who are bad at spelling, I guarantee you they're bad at cursive. Why? Because the cursive is also helping them remember your muscle memory. I before E, except when, sounding like A as in neighbor, and now you're actually writing it neighbor n-e-i-g-h and
1: yeah you know what else is interesting too is it encourages strategy because when you're writing the word you kind of have to know what the whole word's going to look like before you write it which means that you're thinking ahead in your sentences and it kind of makes you like a faster writer in a way because you have to know how to connect the letters and then think how it's going to finish and stuff like that yeah wow so it's so teaching you all, all kinds of extras in there
2: spatial sp- right Because now you're also trying to do things like i don't want to cut up the word
1: yeah i want to finish it do
2: i have enough space to write the word there or should i actually give it the they are yeah and then new line right so uh, typewriters used to do the same thing for us you had to know oh yeah to hit return new line and you had to do that right like or just like run out of space yeah yeah right but now the computer does that for you you don't have to think about the spatial placement and so This is what I think is the death of the imagination. Have you seen these stories of people, kids who given a piece of cardboard will pretend it's a tablet?
1: Oh, wow. Wow.
2: And they pretend to watch YouTube videos on it. So here's the problem. They are now only visualizing what is being presented to them. That ability to plan ahead and visualize ourselves. See, that's the thing. Like... I can close That's... my eyes and picture Obama and like Guy Fieri making out in the Florida Everglades. I could close my eyes and I can imagine that right now. And I could even take pencil to paper and I could draw it. I don't need the AI to give that. to me. It's just a shortcut. But I already imagined, it. see, the AI couldn't imagine anything I didn't already do. Even the prompts are something I came up with. They're just saving me the technical know-how of like, stick drawings i would have just gotten somebody to commission it for me i'm if i'm not a talented painter what difference does it make but i'm not learning shit i'm not learning i'm not becoming a better painter um i'm not becoming a better gauge of foreground background shading lighting i'm not learning shit something's wrong
1: and i'm really worried about how that indicates like i've been reading a little bit about and and i want to like we can talk about it at some point like not right now exactly because i do want to keep reading more about it but like youtube radicalization is like a huge thing and not just like political radicalization but you can radicalize of course anyone to any specific kind of idea or you know just a brand or something like that and i think that how uh, widely known that it that is so like how Every brand now knows how powerful that effect is. And that is almost like a cult in its own way. The way that um, every YouTube channel is essentially able to... Every large YouTube channel at this point that has enough of a following, whatever that level is, now has their own automatic kind of like built-in group. And it's not even just... Much like you just said. It's people under a certain age. I'm not like leveling it out at them but like they are more susceptible due to growing up in a separate world where consumption was different than it is when we grew up and they are more susceptible to the sort of automatic adoption of personalities beliefs into their worldviews as well because it doesn't seem weird in the slightest to them and so where we might be resistant to it or strongly resistant to it at even a natural level before even questioning it for them you know it's much like the boomers slipped into just anything anyone said to them because like they didn't understand exactly that basically everyone who's putting a youtube video out there if they're making it any any success they're trying to make money off of it and that you know ultimately corrupts any kind of true viewpoint they would have you know i don't know but there's well, much more that, to like, it than desire that obviously to fit but
2: in starts to yeah shift
1: too. you know like the ian miles chong like talking to, you know, Elon like he has anything to say to him, it looked like a total tool saying like Grand Theft Auto is like, "Oh, you, I couldn't play through the beginning I'm of, Grand Theft, of, of Grand Theft like, Auto either."
0: Like, what? Like
1: what are you saying? And then they do literally like the community note. I love that community note. Yeah. Dude wrote oh, 200 I didn't see the, community f- note. the community note eventually adopt this is the fucking best community note ever. Community note. Ian Miles Chong has written over 2 over 255 articles about Grand Theft Auto 5 for like gameranks.com. It's about, like, you know, strategy tips and shit. Not only has he played it, he's played it, like, extensively and played it for, like, to write guides for it. <laughs> Total bullshit.
2: I could never kill a cop. <laughs> he might as well. It's crazy. What well, pussy?
1: Yeah. And he, meanwhile, he's, like, adding Elon, like, yes, of course, Daddy. It's It's all true. I also can't play Grand Theft Auto. I'm a baby. Like, what? Very strange behavior. But that's that's what it is.
2: So excited about Florida. Mm-hmm. Oh well, yeah! I'm very excited to yeah. play. Yeah, maybe
1: that's what I'll end with here. I'll, I'll, I'll let me a screen share that real quick so you can hear mm-hmm. Tom Petty. Um, there you go. Let me go to the oh, all the notes. I think I already had it. Yeah, that's the song that plays in the um, in the trailer. Oh, in the.
2: Tra- really is that what it
1: was <laughs> yeah it's it was tom Petty's. so I, there's a whole article about um the tom petty <laughs> connection now Patty. yeah because he um my it's funny my aunt was actually a groupie for tom petty um that's cute yeah when she was much younger she was very well she's still alive she's a very sweet lady. um tom petty no longer with us but when he was still around he um talked about how much he enjoyed his song um Oh, what was that song that he had in um Grand Theft Auto San Andreas? I'll I'll play it as the intro song for this episode as well. Um but for this one, he did they selected because he was so he talked about it and would perform that song um all the time.
2: Love is a long road.
1: Yes. And I think that it's kind of um they recently like running
2: here, down a dream in San. Andreas
1: like for example this run running down a dream yeah you like I can imagine uh, you know being in virtual las Vegas um this poster was in the background this tom Petty poster was in the background in the game in the trailer somewhere I'll show oh. it yeah but let me like go to actually youtube.com here oh, and he's
2: from Florida. yeah that's how it that's all why. that's how it all started oh, Sweet, yeah. okay, aw. Hey, yeah. I didn't know that. Good job, yeah. Tom Petty. Yeah.
1: Um this is the one. Oh hell yeah. Lucia, do you know why you're here?
0: Bad luck, I guess. sticking together being a team (laughs) trust trust
1: yeah so i mean i have a lot to say about that but the whole thing is very accurate. It's really cool. Um, it's, uh, I'll, I'll have more to say about it, I'm sure, in the future, but there is no doubt that they are um, going completely – here, let me switch a second back to your face here. Uh, there's no doubt that they are um, going for full authenticity here, and that's why it really cost them $2 billion to make this thing. So –
2: so I also saw that, like, in the trailer, I saw somebody had made, like, a TikTok stitch or something of, like, actual TikToks and YouTube videos yes. that those scenes are based and on. And they're the real. Florida events. <laughs> yeah, like, and that was a hilarious video. So if our <laughs> listeners are out there, definitely try to find that one. Yeah. Even if you don't care about video games, you'll like the reality aspect of of the... Uh, how they've, How
1: far the they've gone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think that um, it's really exciting to see that there's a there's a scene in there specifically of uh, the Thrillbilly Mud Club, as they call it in there, mm-hmm. that actually features, like, it's a thing that happens in our area where they do, like, m- like mudding with vehicles. It's kind of like a, like, imagine, like, a monster truck rally that, like, your whole family and all your friends, like, go to and, like, kind of have, like, a, you know, like a, like a, I don't know you're going camping and you're like having like a tailgate for like three days basically, you know, and you're going to watch but like, like cars like drive through mud and everyone's bringing their biggest cars and their ATVs and their whatever. And they're all getting muddy. And, and some people are trying to bring them to like test if they've like made the coolest mud truck and are trying to like break them on purpose and stuff. So it's and,
2: like an air show. Or something. Oh, definitely. Like, it's, like it's, you the know way what, like it's like come a, from like all over. Totally.
1: And everyone's bringing all their different stuff. And wow. it started kind of just North of us in Port Charlotte. I guess it's actually where you would call it. But that's what our fictional city is called, Port Gelson. So Southwest Florida is now known as Port Gelson in the Grand Theft Auto world. It should be pretty wild. And just from a couple of screenshots, I can tell like, in certain things are in certain areas. it won't. It's not going to surprise me at all. There's a certain intersection that I've seen that I'm sure one day when the game comes out, I'm going to go and try to like identify where it is. And I'm assuming it's sort of just north of where this city is. Like I could see that they're, they've been there, and they probably were there like a few years ago, in fact, because I don't think it's actually like that anymore. Google,
2: but what it looks like now. But if we now, went into right? Google
1: Maps and looked at then when they did their reference photos, then it might it would be, be the right. Same. Yeah. So we'll that's see. how I feel. We'll see when when in two I, years.
2: When we're doing the like GTA Five because it's just LA, and I'm like, oh look, that's my apartment. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's so funny. I mean, that's that's what it's gonna be like. It really is. I mean. It's going to be unbelievable. And that's the most reality issues thing of all for me is seeing that, you know, not. I thought for a long time they're going to do Vice City. They were kind of telegraphing that for a decade, it felt like, because they were, it's like the only city in the Grand Theft Auto world they wouldn't talk about in those games was Vice City. It's because they were, like, waiting. To, they're trying to keep it, like, locked off from any things so they don't interpret what's going to happen in the future. And so... You know, and now it's not Florida anymore. Original Vice City was in Florida. This is Leonida, but you know, Ponce de Leon discovered the place. That's why it's called Florida anyway. So that's the tie-in. But yeah, it's pretty wild. It's really, really crazy. So,
2: yeah. Yay! I'm gonna go enjoy. I'm very eager. Yeah, eager to eventually get an AI car where we can drive down a virtual Miami, but like the real virtual Miami, if that makes sense. Because that's coming oh yeah we're, we're waiting for grand theft auto this where we're actually right now crashing into the streets of santa fe which would be badass honestly
1: It'd i think fun. well their original name for the project was that uh was project americas and their idea was that they were going to go region by region recreating the country and, and changing like what would be coastline at the top of florida and then just kind of hand waving and saying oh it was there the whole time and now we're going to do you know georgia up north to like you know that's, that was the idea, and apparently that's still like what they're trying to do, and that's why they've actually even been... Um, they've said as much in their, in their public announcements that they'll be expanding like region by region in coming years for DLC and stuff. They can say that for certain because of their projections based off Grand Theft Auto Online making more than the film industry each year. So <laughs> that's kind of that. It's fun.
2: Well, Brian let's go reality sure is cool yeah
1: let's go enjoy virtual reality a little bit as it's friday it's dark here already
2: it's it's, it's starting to get overcast here sun will be going down here probably within the next hour or so long shadows now but oh and chilly uh we're supposed to be dropping temperatures over the weekend no oh snow. nice we'll see what happens nice we'll see. yeah it's actually well, getting cold here so Oh no, is it dropping into the 70s? Yes.
1: <laughs> 60s a little bit.
2: Oh. <laughs> Wear a sweater. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'll talk to you later. Kathy. <laughs>